Thanks, Fred. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're, hope you're doing well. Uh, you can go ahead and find Matthew 14, if that's on a you know, tablet or in a Bible or, or whatever that, that looks like. We're going to be continuing our series, Questions. Uh, last week, we looked at John 5, uh, when Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? This week, we're looking at the question, why did you doubt? Which even that question, uh, uh, you know, is, is kind of can can hit us a little a little hard. But the the context is is really neat. It's a great story. Um, I think I think we're going to get a lot out of it. Especially, you know, I love the frame, uh, you know, that that Fred's been giving us. We talked about last week is is the questions of Jesus. They show us who Jesus is, and then they help us grow in our faith in Him. And so uh, we're gonna we're gonna be looking at that. And I just want to say, just as another shameless plug, uh, last week. You know, I know a lot of you were convicted to serve in the worship and production. I, my, you know, my email is matt, M-A-T-T, at fellowshipashville.com. So you guys probably got the email wrong. You know, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You can just email me this week if you feel like serving. Like I said last week, you know, you don't have to play an instrument to serve, you know, the slides, um, you know, the, the sound, all, all that stuff. You know, you can do that. Or if you do play an instrument but it's just like not a guitar or sing. Don't worry, we're hoping to kind of build that up, get a band up here, a little more people on stage uh, with our worship and stuff. So uh, matt at fellowshipashville.com. All right, great. Everybody, write, you wrote that down. Everybody's got it. Okay, good, good. So Matthew 14, and, and before we jump in and read the story, I just wanna do a little, a little kind of exercise uh, with us. Um, so, so let's do this. Let, think back to like um, a home or a place that you visited a lot as a child. All right, so maybe that's your school, or, but, but like think of, think of like a house. Let's do that. Let's narrow it down a little bit. Think of like a house you went to. Maybe it was like a grandparent's house, a friend's house, something like that. And, and if you kind of can get there mentally, like imagine, remember what it's like walking through the front door. Like I'm remembering uh, my best friend, Jake Mills in Glenville, Georgia, walking into his house and I can like see it, you know? And then you like, I walk through the kitchen and the living room and I'm like, even though I haven't been there in like 20 years, 20 plus years, I can map it out in my head. You know, you guys, everybody have that mental map, you know, your best friend's house, your grandparents' house. Think about like driving to work in the morning. Like you don't really think about it, you can just do it. You know, like our, our, we're really good at creating mental maps of things that we've experienced in the past, but then we're good at creating, if it's not a map, like we kind of can piece together in our minds what something's gonna be like. Like you ever tried a new food and, and somebody's explained it to you and you think you know what it's going to be like and then when you eat it, you're like, man, this is just not at all, good or bad, right? Or you like go on vacation to a new place the first time and, and you don't know the place you're going to, you know, your Airbnb in a place and the pictures look great, you know, the ratings are good and you're like, man, this is going to be fantastic. You show up and it's just not at all what you thought it was going to be like right? Good or bad. You know, sometimes you get surprised in a good way, but most often not, right? Based on the giggles in the room, I can tell most often not. But we're good at that. We're good at creating these things of how things should be or how things were or the way they're going. Um, and, and, and often those get shattered. Often those get changed. And, and I, I was thinking this week, um, a, a really kind of famous one um, is, is the Lewis and Clark expedition, Okay. So, so the Lewis and Clark expedition is great. You know, early 1800s, Lewis and Clark commissioned by Thomas Jefferson and the U.S. government to explore the Louisiana Purchase, trying to find that infamous Northwest Passage that would open up trade routes and, and all those things. And um, as they're going, what they kind of thought was the mental map that they had 
was that they would, they would travel and they would get to the, the continental divide at the top of the Rocky Mountains. They would cross over the Rockies and then before them would just be like these great plains. They would get to the Columbia River Basin where all the rivers you know, flow into the Pacific. They'd get there and, and it'd just be easy going. I mean, these guys have trekked through, uh, through winters, through rivers, on canoes, streams, stuff like that. Through the Rocky Mountains, they get to the top and they get to the Limhi Pass where they were expected to see the Northwest Passage uh, for over three decades. Explorers have tried to, tried to find the Northwest Passage. They're almost there. They get to the top, but instead of seeing the Great Plains and the Pacific Ocean, they just see more mountains. And their dreams were shattered. And on August 12th, 1805, Clark has a journal entry. He said, I did not despair of shortly or not finding a passage over the mountains and of tasting the water of the great Columbia this evening. There were just immense ranges of high mountains still to the west of us with their tops partially covered with snow. All their mental maps were shattered and they had to make a decision. Do we turn around and start from scratch? Do we go back or do we trade our canoes in for snowshoes? Do we totally change what we've approached with and keep pressing on? And the question that I think that we get from Jesus today in Matthew 14 is really a bit of a crossroads. It's where some mental maps, those models that the disciples had created in their head of what it was like to follow Jesus or who even Jesus was, was shattered a little bit. And they had to kind of figure it out from there. There was an obstacle to follow Jesus and they had to figure out what it meant to follow him closer. So let me just kind of ask us as, as we're starting today, uh, what's the biggest obstacle for you following Jesus right now? What's the biggest obstacle for following Jesus right now? Let's, let's read the story. We're going to be in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. If, you, if you're on a phone or a tablet or something, it's, it's the English Standard Version if you want to follow along. So Matthew 14, starting verse 22, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So we get, in, we get, you know, when, when it starts out, the story immediately, there's a little bit of context there. So let, let's set the scene. Beginning of, of chapter 14, you get kind of a weird story uh, where Herod throws this party and beheads John the Baptist. Okay, so it's like almost like, because if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew at all, it's just all about Jesus, right? You, we've talked over the last few weeks the way the four Gospels kind of show Jesus, the different aspects that they're trying to convince the readers of. Let's do pop quiz again, all right? So Matthew uh, is trying to show us that Jesus is 
King, you guys came prepared. You already found your notes from last week. Good job. All right, so Mark shows us that Jesus is servant. Right, great. You guys are doing great. All right, Luke is showing us that Jesus is human, and John is showing us that he's God. Fantastic. Great job. Give yourselves a pat on the back. If you weren't here last week, that's okay. Uh, you can take the notes for next week. So, so Matthew's showing us that Jesus is king. So he's doing a lot of stuff that has a lot of like, like resemblances to the Old Testament, the way prophets would do things, the way the kings would do things, you know, even Jesus going up on top of a mountain, then talking to God's people, you know, like they would be thinking about Moses and things like that. Uh, then you get in, it kind of jumps and, and Jesus starts doing all these great miracles, you know, the famous sermon on the mount. And, uh, chapter 13 is you get Jesus kind of telling them what it's like, what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like. All right, so, so, so you get that, you get chapter 13, and Matthew just sets it up by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's really neat the way he sets it up. And then you get the exact opposite of what that looks like with Herod. All right, this king who's throwing parties, he's making himself look good. It's like over this whole like weird like Jerry Springer marriage dispute kind of deal going on. So he kills John the Baptist, and then you get Jesus. All right, but we've got to remember, John the Baptist is the first cousin of Jesus. So Jesus just gets news that his first cousin, I mean, you got to think these families were close. We know that Mary, when she was pregnant with Jesus, went to visit Elizabeth. All right. So these families probably traveled together to Jewish feasts and festivals, going to Jerusalem, celebrating, worshiping together. They knew each other well. John baptized Jesus. So these are close families. Jesus gets word that his first cousin was killed in a dispute over a guy trying to prove himself to be king and that he's actually in charge. And Jesus tries to get away and go pray. I mean, like if there's a time to like go process, grieve, all of that, it's this time for Jesus. So he's trying to get away, but as he's getting away, trying to go on top of a mountain to pray, he just like, just, I love how nonchalantly Matthew puts it. Like, yeah, he just had some people follow him and he fed 5,000 people. It's like, holy cow, like that's so many people. You know, so Jesus is trying to escape the crowds. He gets bombarded by the crowds, but instead of being a king who takes for himself, like Herod, he's a king that gives. Okay, so he feeds everybody, feeds everybody. And then just like any good Baptist does, he feeds them and sends them home. All right, so he's like, crowds, get out of here. You gotta go. Um, and then the disciples, he's like, go, I'm gonna get alone and pray. I need you guys to go across the water here. So, so, so this is where we pick up the story, all right? So just a little context for you there. Um, Matthew is really emphasizing Jesus as king here. Let's just, let's just keep, that, keep that in mind. He made, uh, made the disciples go before him to the other side, dismiss the crowds. He got rid of everybody. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening there, he was alone. And everyone with young kids in the room said, Jesus, please, let me, let me have a little bit of a long time today. But verse 24, it says that when the boat, by this time, it was a long way from the land. If you're looking at your footnotes and trying to do the math, he was probably any, around two miles away from the land at this point. They're in the Sea of Galilee. Um, and it was getting beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. Just for like, like if you're a Bible nerd and you like stuff like this, uh, very common. Winds like this, storms picking up through the night, early morning, um, in, uh, in the late summer, or late spring, early summer. We know that it's that time of year because in Mark chapter 6, parallel story, Jesus 
sits the crowds on the green grass to feed them. So just if that doesn't have to do with the sermon, just if you like Bible nerd stuff. Um, but very common this time of year, the disciples, they, most of them were fishermen, so they were used to this kind of thing. But you got to, even in the disciples' shoes, remember, they, they were uh, trying to get away with Jesus. They're going to pray. They end up serving food to thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people. And then they get in a boat, they try to go across the water, and they're just getting beat up by a storm. So they're exhausted, they're tired, they're, they're probably hungry at this point. They haven't slept in who knows how long. They've been on their feet all day long in the hot sun, serving people. Now it's like they just can't catch a break. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Okay, um, how easy would it have been for them to think it was a hallucination, <laughs> right? I mean, let's just think about these are real humans, haven't eaten in how long, they're exhausted. They've been up there all night, and I mean, for a lot of us, we can already start to relate here because, because you can think, man, I, like I'm exhausted. You know, like, man, I can't remember the last time I've got a good meal or even slept well or anything like that for whatever reason. I mean, a lot of us can, can read these stories and it speaks to the heart in a sense because a lot of us can easily feel like we're in a storm in life. Whatever, the bad news, the kids screaming, the, the bad medical report. And, and really, I mean, even the, just the last year and a half has just been so polarizing socially, politically, religiously, even theologically for a lot of us. So it's easy to read this and, and, and think, man, I feel like I'm kind of far away from Jesus right now and I'm in the middle of a storm. And even if we saw Jesus coming to us, it might be hard to recognize him. We might not really understand that it's him coming to us. And we see, I mean, that's like, right? I mean, the disciples in a literal storm, verse 26, when, when they saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Very common superstition at the time, just like, you know, if you have ever watched any other movies or anything about pirates or, or people to do with the sea, it was common superstition at the time that if a boat sank in a storm, um, that their spirits would come back up during a storm in the, the you know, similar area and, and haunt them. Um, so pretty common. But I love that it says, but immediately, in verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them. Like he wasn't going to give any rise to their superstition in the middle of the chaos. He had, Jesus had no intention of confusion here. I love it. He says, immediately he said to them, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid. All right, so verse 27, this is where everything changes. Because our, our English translations, they help us out uh, by making it readable for us because most of us don't read, you know, first century Koine Greek, right? Um, but we read English, so they translate it the best they can. And when we say, it is I, uh, take heart, it's I, do not be afraid, a literal translation uh, really could read like this. Jesus says, have some courage, or even like, cheer up. Like, hey guys, don't worry, it's... It's me, but the it is I that's translated. The literal exact translation from the Greek is I am. Then he said, so it's kind of like, hey guys, cheer up. I am. Don't be afraid. So for us, when we hear I am, we, you know, like if we read that, we would just think like that, that's not good grammar, right? Like that doesn't make sense. If it's like, hey, like, you know, like just imagine the disciples saying like, hey, who are you? And he says, I am. Like to English, we would pause and be like, I am what? Right? Or I am who? Or whatever. But to them, we got to put ourselves back in the minds of the disciples for just a minute, okay? All right, so like 
take away any form of modern entertainment that we have. All right, so take away TV, take away podcasts, take away video games, take away books, take away, I mean, any of that stuff. All right, so these, the disciples, the families, like they, it was an agrarian society, and so they would wake up, and right before they, they, their feet touched the ground, being good, practicing Jews that they were, they would say the Shema. They would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and their feet would hit the ground. And then they'd, they'd probably in the morning before they went off to work, you know, the families, they'd sing some psalms together. They would tell some stories about Israel's history, maybe look forward to a prophecy. And then they'd go to work and they'd, they'd do their thing. They'd go fish or they'd go farm or they'd go trade or, or, or whatever it was. In the middle of the day, they'd stop and they would sing some more psalms. They'd pray a little bit, um, you know, maybe hit like a, like a Psalm 113, praising God for the day. It's a beautiful day, you know, in, in the Middle East. And, and, you know, we're getting to serve on our ancestral family land and, and do it together. And uh, God promised us this land a long time ago through our forefathers. And that's what they'd think of. And, and then at night, they'd get home and they'd eat, you know, it'd be some friends, families, neighbors would get together, they'd cook some good food, and they'd sing some more psalms, and because and, that was their entertainment. Their entertainment was retelling the stories of their, of their past. You know, they, they weren't clicking on the news, or they weren't sitting down around a book or anything like that, right? And then right before their head hit the pillow, they'd say the Shema again, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, you still love the Lord, and they would, they would do that, Okay. So, so you got to think, throughout the course of their lives, up until this point, when someone walking on chaotic waters to come and save them, saying, I am, they weren't thinking this doesn't make sense, grammatically. They would think, wait, this guy's saying that he's God. Because they would have gone back to Moses in the burning bush, or Moses when he says, hey, if I go to Pharaoh and tell him to release your people, who do I say sent me? Like, I'm just a guy, I gotta do this on somebody else's authority. And, and, and God said, tell him that I am sent you. And he would have thought back to, Mo, to Abraham when he said, I am the great I am, meaning that's his name, that's who he is. So when they would have heard Jesus say this, they would have thought, okay, this isn't a ghost. Like, like we have to do something about this because their mental maps at this point are shattered. Like, like to see a guy walking on the water, because chaotic or dangerous waters have like all throughout the Old Testament, or I mean, play a big role. I, I think it's something wild, like every two or three pages in the Old Testament, it has to do something. There's a mention of some kind of chaotic waters that people need saving from all throughout the Old Testament. Okay, so deep biblical history, especially when it comes to the people of God, and God proving his power over the waters to save his people. All right, so let's just do another little pop quiz here. All right, who can think of a time in the Bible, you can say it in like one or two words, where uh, God saved his people through waters? Anybody? In the Old Testament? Part of the Red Sea. Great one, right? What, another one? The flood? Great one. Yeah. What else? Any, another one? The Jordan, crossing it, yeah, crossing into the promised land. Anybody else? Yeah, the rock, man. That's a good one. I forgot about that one. Good job. You get an extra Jesus point today. Anybody else? 
What about like at the very beginning, creation, right? Because there was water and then God separated the water and brought land up out of it to create a place for, for people to live, okay? So all throughout the Old Testament, all right, he, he's doing that. And then they would have thought about like Job 9, 8, where it says, he alone stretches the heavens and treads on the waves. They would have thought about Psalm 107, where it said, he made the storm be still and the waves of the water were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Or Psalm 77, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. There's a great, one of my favorite Bible nerd, otherwise known as theologians, John Selhammer. Uh, he had a, a great commentary on this, and he said that there's no clearer example that Jesus is God in the New Testament than the stories of him proving his authority over chaotic seas with a word or I added this to his statement, I hope he doesn't mind, or by doing something that's not that hard like walking. See, when Jesus is walking on here, Matthew is once again giving a story where Jesus is king of everything. And this would have just, I mean, this would have totally shaken up the disciples completely. I mean, it's like how often do we get upset when, when we hear things in our daily life that, that's maybe we think blasphemous or heretical or goes against the way we think about God or the way we've been taught. For Jesus to say, I am, and be walking on the water, it was a turning point. I mean, really, in, in, their, in, in a sense, it kind of brought them to a crossroads. Because like Lewis and Clark, they get to the Limhi Pass, and it's not as easy going to the Pacific like they thought. They're following Jesus. They're on the storm. This happens and they got to make a decision. Am I going to admit that this guy is truly God or am I going to back off? Am I done? Am I going to go back home and start from scratch? Is he the Messiah or is he not? That, that's what he was bringing him to. That's what this question is. So verse 28, the, 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 I like the, 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 like if you're thinking about it in a movie, we're learning about this guy and then we're introduced to a new character in the story. Okay, so verse 28, it says, and Peter answered him, and you just got to love Peter. We like to give Peter a hard time, but man, what a baller move here, right? He's like, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Man, so we get Peter, so Matthew's kind of giving us, he's kind of shifting the focus from who Jesus is to what do we do about it. That's what we get. We get from who Jesus is to what do we do about it? Matthew's given us an insider's view of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to be someone who sees what Jesus does, who hears his words, and tries to emulate his life ourselves. To be a disciple of someone, just in case you know, you're not familiar with the word disciple, um, in the first century, these guys, what they were probably going through, um, Young Jewish boys, they'd grow up in their home and they would learn from their fathers doing or their family trade, whatever that was. And then um, when they hit 13, that was when they became entering the years of manhood and they would go, their fathers, if they weren't going to continue in the family business, they would go find a, a rabbi, a teacher, or someone that they would learn like a new trade or a new life skill from. Okay, so um, if they were... Uh, you know, think about if, you, um, if you're familiar with the greatest, you know, movie franchise in history, Star Wars, you know, think of like a Jedi Knight and an Apprentice, right? Not a single amen. That's okay. 
Maybe more chances in a minute. Um, but when it was time to apprentice, they'd hit, they'd hit 13 years old. And so if, if, you know, somebody, if a father thought, man, my son is really destined for, you know, academic or religious leadership or something, they would go and they would find a rabbi and they would convince them to take their son to live with them for three to five years and, and become, you know, men of wisdom that followed God and could actually live out the Shema that they, that they recited multiple times a day. And so um, what we get here in, in Matthew's Gospel of Jesus from Peter, I love it because he's one of his disciples, probably a young dude, um, probably a little bit energetic and a little headstrong. And um, he, he's like, okay, God, okay, Jesus, if it's actually you, I don't really know. Okay, like, I love it. It's like, if it is you, tell me to follow you. Like, like Peter doesn't do anything half-heartedly, right? But what we see from Peter is that he's a flip-flopper. It's constantly back and forth, you know? Like, he gets, like, a few chapters later, you get him where he's like, Jesus, you're the Messiah. Where else would we go? We got to follow you. You're the Messiah. And then literally a few verses later, he's like, Jesus, you can't go die on the cross, and they kill you. And, and Jesus is like, hey, man, get behind me, Satan. Like, back and forth, right? He, he goes up on the mount to, pl- to pray with Jesus, and he sees these great things, and then he, like, cuts a dude's ears off, <laughs> you know? Like, he's there witnessing Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus on the mountain, and he's like, hey, I don't know, let's, like, build some tents. He's like, man, just, just, t- just be it. Like, just calm down, Peter, it's fine. He just, it's like this constant back and forth. But when he, but we, and we love to give Peter a hard time. We love to joke about Peter. But what we got to give Peter is that when he hears Jesus, he just does it. I mean, I mean, he goes out when he when he hears Jesus call to him because Jesus says, "Come," and Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water. I mean, it's a great example of what it means to be a disciple. He heard the word of Jesus and he just did it, like no questions asked, no questions asked. And what I want to, what I really wanted, what I try to try to talk about and get us to see. I mean, I think really, you know, he gets out on the water in verse twenty nine, and he came to Jesus. So he made it all the way to Jesus. But when the, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, "Lord, save me!" Jesus immediately reached out. See, it wasn't the fact that Peter didn't have faith; is that his faith was weak. The word little, like when Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. I, I don't really think that was like a sharp rebuke. I think it lends itself more almost like a fatherly, like, ah, oh, man, Peter, like, you just don't, you're just not there yet, man. But like, you know, I think it was a loving, like, man, good, that was a great try because he picks him up out of the water. I really think it's that. The word little, it does, it, it could mean weak, like weak faith. Like it just hasn't quite grown to where it needs to be yet. And so what I think we get to see with Peter being a flip-flopper, being someone who's like walking on the water, he makes it to Jesus, and then he looks around. I mean, he kind of flip-flopped once again. It's that it wasn't an issue of if he had faith or not. It was an issue of how consistent his faith was. And so when I look at this story and I look at Peter, and I think about what's the biggest obstacle for me following Jesus— the problem with my discipleship is me. It's not Jesus, right? It's not the winds. It's not the waves. I've made it to Jesus through faith. So when I start sinking, when the storms of life start to overcome, 
it's, it's my fault because I've not developed a consistent faith. When Jesus gets him out, it says, Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, you are truly, you are the son of God. So what I want us to understand and what I want us to think about today is, is wherever we f- you find yourself in the, the journey of following Jesus, becoming more like him, whatever, however you want to phrase it, um, if you find yourself like distant from Jesus, you find yourself sinking, you find whatever, whatever, however this is connecting to your heart, I just want to encourage you that Jesus hasn't left you and he hasn't given up on you, and he's still right there. And it's not the problem that you don't have faith and that you're so far away that he can't reach out his hand and grab you. I just want to encourage you to develop a more consistent faith. Because a, 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 an inconsistent faith is a weak faith. And I think a consistent faith is a strong faith. See, it's, it's, the, it's the focus that's the issue. He gets to Jesus. He's right there beside Jesus. And I couldn't help but think about Hebrews 12, the, the, the first few verses where it says, uh, set aside everything, basically, that, this is the Matt Sutton paraphrase, everything that keeps you from following Jesus well. Everything that keeps you from having a consistent faith, get rid of it and set your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, inconsistent faith, it comes from a lack of, a focus. That was Peter's problem here, is a lack of focus. Um, we have a, a three-year-old, I've, I've talked about her a lot. Uh, her name's Cora, and um, you've probably already seen her run through here and scream at some point today. She's so much fun, um, and we're trying to teach her how to be a good human being that can like function in the world, which is a lot harder. Some people call it parenting. I don't know if I'm doing that yet. I'm just like, like it's, uh, she's three, and maybe this is just my fault, so I'm telling myself, but are you ever like, you have kids, and some of you guys have raised functioning adults, and you're really good at it. But do you ever, like, look around, and you're like, when they're little, like three, and I'm like, somebody should do something about this. You know, and I don't, I guess it's me. But, um, but anyways, Cora, we're trying to teach her to be a good, a functioning human. And um, one way we're trying to do that is just like, hey, clean up before you go to bed, like all the toys and stuff like that. And the way we're getting her to do it is we found out she has this great little competitive spark, which is fun. So at night, we'll play this game, like who can put, put, the to- who can put up the most toys the fastest. So we'll like start a song. Her favorite is Glamorous Indie Rock and Roll by The Killers, which is a great song. So we'll get Google to play that, and we'll, and we'll go start putting toys away as fast as we can. And it's great because she always starts so well, you know? Like, like she's like throwing stuff in the basket and like kicking things under the couch. And I'm like, whatever, you know? <laughs> like as long as I don't step on it at 2 a.m., like I'm fine, whatever. And... Um, we're cleaning up, and then, like, after, like, 30 seconds, she finds one toy and just sits down and just focuses on it, you know? And, she, and I'm like, okay, Cora, I'm winning. And if I win, it's, it's just full atomic meltdown. So I can't win, you know? So I'm like, I'm, like, I'm winning, you know, and I'm trying to get her to focus. And, and literally, sometimes I'll snap, and I'll go, focus, 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 focus. And then she's like, oh, no, and she'll keep going for a, a few more seconds, and then she'll find another toy. And the problem isn't that she's not cleaning up right? And promise, the problem isn't even that she's like focusing on that toy. It's just not the right time or the right thing to focus on. And I, and I mean, I just think Peter, he's in that boat. And I think I'm in that boat a lot. 
man, I can follow Jesus. And it's like, man, it, like my prayer life's great. And like I'm spending time with Jesus on a consistent basis. And I feel like my, my faith in him is growing stronger. And then I just get focused on the wrong thing. You know, whatever that is. I mean, I, I don't know. For me, typically, just vulnerability. I just stay up too late watching Better Call Saul. And I don't want to get up in the morning. And, just, and if, I, if I get foggy and I don't get a lot of sleep, it's just hard for me to focus throughout the whole day and actually spend quality time with Jesus, right? I mean, I mean we all kind of have these things. It's not like watching Better Call Saul's bad in, inherently. It's just that focus. I'm just focusing on the wrong thing, and it's not helping grow my faith consistently and growing it into a stronger faith. Um, with Jesus coming to the disciples the way he did, Man, after all they experienced, um, and, you know, he asked Peter this question. He kind of, I think Jesus kind of wanted to bring them to this crossroads. Um, he kind of wanted to bring them to the point where they, they had to make a decision of, okay, am, am I truly going to admit to myself who Jesus actually is? Because for a lot of us, it's easier to have a Jesus that we've created in our minds. A Jesus that lines up where we do politically with no questions asked. A, a, a Jesus that lines up socially where we do with no questions asked. Even theologically where we do with no questions asked. And then next thing we know, we come to a crisis and it's our faith and our understanding of who Jesus actually is that kind of makes it inconsistent. See, inconsistent faith comes from not understanding who Jesus really is. Because when Jesus is asking them, why did you doubt? He's basically making them come to terms and admit, uh, you know, they could say, hey, I, I know that I've seen you perform all these miracles. And Jesus, I've heard all your words. I've seen you do all this stuff. And when Jesus says, why, why did you doubt? I mean, he's basically making them admit or come to a point where they either admit who he is or turn away. I almost think this passage, the more I've studied it this week, is more about the disciples' response than it is Peter walking out on the boat. Because what it is, it's Jesus really giving a good picture, and we see, we see Peter walking out. Because, um, you, know, we, you know, we're talking about the mental maps and things like that. Um, the disciples, they, they knew what the Son of God was supposed to look like and what he was supposed to do. And Jesus really wasn't that. Um, I mean, the, the, the Messiah, the guy of Israel, I mean, they would have thought about all the guys in history, like, a, you know, Elijah, who like called down fire on all of Baal's prophets. And they would have thought about Moses and Joshua and all these great military leaders that, that established Israel as a nation. And instead they get Jesus, who's saying things like, like, love your enemy. And like, hey, I didn't, I didn't you know, I, I can't, like, blessed are the peacemakers, and, and, I mean, it would have been a total paradigm shift for them. And then for him to say, no, I am, and him do all the things on the water, the understanding of who Jesus really is is the deciding factor here. Their response and the way the story ends, I really think is the most important part. Because for us, we have the same mental images with Jesus. Um, and, and we think, man, Jesus should treat me this way. He should bless me this way. I've done X and so I should get why. Like I, I've done the things I, and then it's not quite working out the way it is. And it brings us to our own kind of crisis of faith or as, as Paul puts it, being tossed to and fro uh, by every wind of doctrine and human deceit, even if sometimes that's our own human doctrine and deceit. 
Um, man, it's like that time that you get the diagnosis from the doctor and you, or a loved one does, and you know the statistics. Um, I mean, you kind of begin to build that mental map of, of where it's headed. Um, you know, we get mental images whenever we, um, I mean, gosh, for a lot of us, our mental images were shattered based on the outcome of the last few elections. <laughs> I mean, just shattered. We didn't know where it was. And the problem that we doubted was because of our own consistent or inconsistent faith. But as they learn who Jesus is and they, they see what they do about it, man, I mean, like the created order, it submits to Jesus. The disciples understand who Jesus is and worships him. You know, of course, they won't truly fully understand who he is till after his resurrection. But even then, even after his resurrection in Matthew 28, it's interesting. The only other time that the word that's used for when Jesus said, why did you doubt? The only other time it's used is at the end of Matthew in chapter 28 when Jesus raises from the dead, comes back, reveals himself to them, and it says they worshiped, but some doubted. So even by the end of it, even after the resurrection and stuff, a lot of the disciples, their faith was so inconsistent, it stayed weak, and they doubted. Um, When we see from Peter, you know, okay, so you're like, okay, Matt, I get it, inconsistent faith. Um, how does this help me grow in my faith? That's what it showed us who Jesus is. How does it help us grow? How do we build a consistent faith? Um, just a few, I just want to kind of give two points as we grow. We have this, um, a prayer, you know, a discipleship map that Pastor Fred took us through during our Thrive series a few months ago. Um, and one of them is with Jesus. And so the first thing I think to, to help grow a consistent faith or develop a strong faith is learn to practice prayer. Uh, for a lot of us, we really don't have a good, uh, if we're honest, probably a good prayer life, much less even a good definition of prayer. And so I just kind of want to give two, two things that I've learned over the last few years, trying myself to develop a strong faith um, and, and not always doing a great job at it, um, is that prayer is, I think, two things. I think prayer is presence and it's formation. Um, it's like... Um, when, when Ann and I first got married, we were living in Johnson City, and there's this really good barbecue uh, restaurant over there, and I worked in the, in the kitchen there. And um, I was, it was wild because I remember guys uh, that had worked there for a long time, there'd be like a big old thing of baked beans in the oven, and they wouldn't even use oven mitts. They would just get it out of the oven. And I was like, what? And they're like, hey, you just got to build your tolerance, you know, because, you know, it's, it's the closer you are to the oven, the longer, you know, oven mitts, they wear down. Eventually my oven mitts wore down, and I realized I didn't even need them anymore. And, and, like, I think for a lot of us, when we're thinking about prayer, uh, don't get discouraged if at first it's, like, just a little while that you can pray. And then, like, you just, your focus or whatever just comes up because it's, like, I mean, we're thinking, we're talking about, like, entering the presence of God, you know? And, I mean, it's almost like you have to build up a, a tolerance to spend more time with God consistently. And, and so um, when you're talking to God, be aware of his, of his presence, um, developing a, a life of prayer is to develop a constant understanding that God is present. Um, just like Peter, he was right there with Jesus. It said when he came to Jesus, then he started sinking. But he was still aware that, presence, that Jesus was there. He said, Jesus, help me. Um, Jesus, like I said, you know, if we're trying to be like Jesus, learn from him. He grew up in a culture that would have prayed three to four times a day, every day. 
Um, we see the, the context of the story is he was trying to get away from everything, to get on top of a mountain, to pray and be alone with God. Um, if there's one thing that we learn from Jesus about being present with God is that there's no such thing as too much intimacy with God. I mean, there's just no such thing as too much intimacy. And I, and I want to just encourage you there because the more you spend time with Jesus, the more he shapes you into who he is. Prayer, uh, I love Eugene Peterson and his book, Answering God. Um, a book about prayer and the Psalms. It says, what is essential to prayer is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. Um, I, we, anybody um, ever use Duolingo? Ever heard of Duolingo? It's this free app. You can download it on your phone. They even have a kid version, and it teaches you these different languages. All right? And so I started using Duolingo because it's fun. It's like a game. Right? But at the same time, it's like teaching me Spanish that I used to one time like have a basic high school understanding of. And now with Cora, like I use it with my daughter in the mornings for two reasons. One, because I need a cup of coffee before I can like have a functioning conversation with her because she wakes up anywhere between 5 and 6 a.m. every morning. Um, and so she gets up and, and Duolingo. But it's great because I'm, I'm using it as a tool. She has fun. She's enjoying it. She gets to experience it, but at the same time, it's like she's like learning all these words in Spanish, you know, and, and it's helping form her. Prayer, in a lot of ways, it's a tool that uses us not only to express ourselves to God, but that God is using to form us. And then the second thing to grow a consistent faith as we close out is that know that circumstances don't change who Jesus is. I would just encourage you guys um, something that I was taught to do by a mentor is, is write down, have on hand a list. Of, of verses in the Bible, scriptures, that remind us of who God is in any circumstance, like on hand, maybe, maybe on notes on your phone or something like that. There's a difference in knowing the Bible and having a working knowledge of the Bible, being able to recall it or, or have it uh, consistently. Because one of the triangles uh, with Jesus, one of the points on the triangle, discipleship at fellowship with Jesus, another one is in God's word. And so, you know, as you're looking through those scriptures, um, man, like I said, all through the, the disciples' minds, they would have had those Old Testament scriptures in mind that they would have gone back to when they saw Jesus. And so for us, I mean, we, you know, we have entertainment nonstop all the time, easy ways to, to fill our brains with something to do. And I would just encourage you, I'm not telling you to like get rid of your TV and memorize the Bible. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm just not saying you have to. I'm just saying a baseline baby steps would just be having an, I mean, even like a sticky note on the dashboard of your car with, with, with maybe one of these verses that stuck out to you today, just a working knowledge so that you're growing consistently in your faith. See, our response to knowing who Jesus is, is that he doesn't change no matter what. And he's exactly, um, knowing that that's true, knowing that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever is exactly what allows us to recognize his work and then like the disciples, worship him fully. So to close today, I just, I just want to ask that question again. Um, what's the biggest obstacle keeping you from following Jesus? Uh, what's the biggest thing that's stopping you from growing a consistent faith? And then what's it going to take uh, what's it going to take to develop that, that strong faith? Let me pray for us. God, thanks for how good you are. Father, thank you that no matter what we're going through, God, no matter what life sends us, God, whether we feel like we're in a storm or maybe 
we're one of the crowds that just feel like we got fed by Jesus and, and now we're, we're just at home resting, Father. Whatever that looks like, Father, I pray that, that we don't settle in our, in, our, in our journey following you, God, but that we continue to grow a, a consistent and strong faith as, as we behold your glory in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you so much. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.